During the month of August, we have the children in with us. So kids, it is great to have you with us and to be together as a whole church family together. If you're under the age of 12, just give me a wave. Some of you, some of you, yeah, some of you I know are a little over 12 there. That was optimistic. But it's great to have you in with us. So we're trying to pitch things that will um, reach us if we're eight or 80. Um, and for the past couple of years, on these August mornings, we've been looking at a series called History Makers. History Makers. And uh, we've looked at Christians throughout history who've made a massive impact on the world. And we've looked at people like George Muller, uh, Louis Zamperini, you can look these people up later, Tracy Evans, Bruce Olson, William Wilberforce. And then last week, Phil did an amazing job looking at the story of Eric Little for us. So that'll be available online if you want to get hold of it. But this morning, this morning, I want to introduce you to somebody you may not be familiar with. I want to introduce you to a remarkable lady by the name of Elizabeth Fry. Elizabeth Fry. She's so remarkable that her picture appears on a five-pound note. And I've got a photo of a five-pound note, the back of a five-pound note coming up on the screen. Some of you have had hundreds of five-pound notes passing through your hands and never actually noticed. I think it's important to verify that this isn't a doctored picture and it's real. So I've got um, an actual five-pound note here. I've borrowed this from Simon. And I thought I'd get someone trustworthy like Lisa just to confirm for us. So give me a radio mic, somebody. There we go. Just to confirm for us, Lisa, can you, can you have a look at this and confirm that this is actually a five-pound note? Can you see Elizabeth Fry on there? It is, yes. Brilliant. Okay, no need to give that back. You just hang on to that. That's fine. <laughs> so, it was worth it just for that. <laughs> Lisa's very happy to go with that. Sorry about that, Simon, but it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, so this morning, we're going to be spending a little bit of time discovering who this woman is and how did she end up on the back of a five-pound note. Well, Elizabeth was born a long time ago, nearly, uh, nearly well, hundreds of years ago, 1780, uh, into a wealthy Quaker family. Now, they were Christians, so she was born into a Christian home, but they were Christians who had a strong sense of responsibility, not just for their own lives, but the world around them. And her family set up some of the most successful banks in the country. So her relations set up Barclays Bank and Lloyds Bank, so many of you will be familiar with them. But more importantly, because kids, to be honest, banking is a little bit boring, isn't it? More importantly, her family went on to produce chocolate. And I thought it would be rude to look at Elizabeth Fry this morning and not talk about chocolate. So um, uh, they, they made something called uh, Fry's Chocolate Cream that I've managed to get hold of. Yeah. Um, they also made something called Fry's Turkish Delight. Um, which is like just a block of sugar, and I thought parents wouldn't thank me for that. So if you want to try a bit of fries, chocolate cream, stick a hand in the air. Stuart's going to pass some rounds. Just stick a hand in the air. Try some fries, chocolate cream. See what you think of it. See what you think of it. Try some of it. Just scatter some around. That's great. There's some very desperate people down here. Try some of it, great. Okay, here's what I want you to do. We're going to do a very rough survey. Give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, depending on how you feel about it. Thumbs up, thumbs up. Okay, a double thumbs up over there. So that's what they produced. And you can get hold of it at Tesco's. The chocolate is causing more chaos than I had imagined. There were actually more chocolate bars, but I left them in the fridge in the offices, and one of the staff ate one. We don't know who. But I just want to say, there will come a day of judgment where you will have to account for stealing the Lord's chocolate bar. 
but that's just between you and him. I don't want to judge, all right? So it's a thumbs up. Okay, so it's a winner. So Elizabeth comes from this very wealthy family, uh, lovely family, social responsibility, wants to change the world around them. Only downside is they had very large dental bills, okay? But, but money and chocolate don't necessarily, necessarily guarantee happiness. And for all their riches, Elizabeth had quite an unhappy childhood. She grew up here in this place. It's called Earlham Hall in Norfolk. And uh, whilst it might look like a lovely place to grow up, they, they, they were rattling around in this big house, and Elizabeth frequently felt lonely, even in the middle of a large family. They would play hide-and-seek in the many rooms of this hall, uh, but she would often get forgotten and lost and left in a cupboard as they lost children in the building. And she grew up with a fear of the dark, and she would have reoccurring nightmares that would come back to her time and time again. So she would wake up terrified in the night that she and the rest of her family were drowning. It was a, a nightmare that kept coming back to her. She had trouble from her siblings as well, her brothers and sisters. So they called her stupid. That was her nickname that they gave her, that she was stupid. Now, it's probable that she was dyslexic. She, had, she struggled to learn to read and write until a later age. So she had a difficult childhood, but then it sadly got worse. One autumn in 1792, when she was aged 12, her mum became sick and went to bed with a fever. And she got weaker and weaker as the fever developed. And then sadly, three weeks later, her mother died. Young Elizabeth was devastated at losing her mother at the age of 12. And from then on, she was often ill herself. She was quite a weak physical child, and also she took on the responsibility of teaching and educating her younger brothers and sisters. So she had a, a lot on her plate. But God never lets us down. And although Elizabeth felt scared and frightened, God promises to use weak people to do his will. He says in 1 Corinthians, God, chooses the, God considers the foolish things and uses them in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chooses those that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. So that's the first thing we learn from Elizabeth's life. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the experience. We just need to learn to rely on God. Someone once said this, you don't have to be the strong one. You just have to be the weak one made strong by God. I think there's a lot of truth in that. So Elizabeth was this shy, nervous woman. And each Sunday they would attend a Quaker meeting hall, which was their church gathering. But Elizabeth found those meetings quite boring and a bit tedious. And sometimes she would fake illness so she didn't have to go to the meetings. But her life was about to dramatically change. Two things shaped her life more than anything else. The first one was this. is um, One winter's night, she came across a young boy who'd actually frozen to death in a doorway, an orphan boy that had been abandoned and forgotten and had nowhere to live. And she was broken by that experience. The second was that she went to this Quaker meeting hall one day and heard an American preacher by the name of William Savory. And he started to talk about God's heart for the poor. And once again, she was broken on the inside. As Elizabeth heard William, she wrote this in her diary of that evening. I think my feelings that night were the most exalted I remember. Suddenly my mind felt clothed with light as with a garment and I felt silence before God. I cried with heavenly feelings of humility and repentance. In that moment, really, she encountered God and her life was changed forever. The first thing she did, the first activity once she'd met God, was to start up a school for poor children in the local area, people who couldn't afford an education. And the school started up with just one boy. Kids, imagine being in a school where you're just the only 
pupil, only student in the school. So the bad news was that it was difficult to skip classes without the teacher noticing. That's tricky in a school of one. But the good news was he did very well on sports day. He won everything. Um, However, within two years, the school quickly grew, and, and very soon there were 70 children there. But the real turning point came some years later, when another Quaker called Stephen Grellet took Elizabeth into this place. This is Newgate Prison, and it's hard to describe how awful this place was. The governor of the prison, the guy in charge of the prison, described the prison as a den of wild beasts. He was too frightened, the governor, to go inside the prison gates himself. And Elizabeth accompanied this guy, Stephen Greller, into the prison grounds and went into the cells. And she went into the cells bravely without the governor, went in and they locked the doors behind her. And she got to see firsthand the conditions that people lived in. And to understand Elizabeth, we need to understand what life was like, what prison life was like then. So I've arranged for a couple of volunteers to come and be my volunteer prisoners uh, for this morning. So I believe Jack's going to come up and Tyler. Are you guys okay to come up? Do you want to come up the front here? Jack, do you want to come and stand on the stage for me here? Where's Tyler? Is he out there? Here comes Tyler. Let's welcome these boys up. Stand up here for me, Jack, would you? That's great. Come and stand up here. Okay, good stuff, lads. Just, just stand there for me. That's brilliant. So you lads are my volunteer prisoners for this morning, and I will give you a taste of what prison life would have been like back then, okay? Don't worry, it doesn't involve any leg irons or anything like that. But I want you to understand what the conditions were like, okay? So the first thing I think we should do is talk about what the, what the beds were like, okay? So Jack, can you tell me, what, what have you got at home? You've got a bunk bed or a regular bed? A bunk bed. You've got a bunk bed, okay? And do you have a nice duvet or something like that? You've got a nice duvet. Do you have like a Star Wars duvet or something? I, knowing your dad, I guessed it would probably be a Star Wars duvet. Okay, so you've got a Star Wars duvet. Okay, well, let me show you your new bed in your prison, okay? So here's your new bed. This is your, this is your bedding, all right? So you, this is straw, and you just get to scatter that around on the floor. Okay, so yeah, at least it's cheap, that is true. What you want to do, what you want to do is watch out because the rats really like warm straw, okay? So you might have to sort of brush the rats aside, okay? And it most likely would be second-hand straw. So just hang on to that there, all right? So, so Tyler, be grateful you didn't get the straw, all right? What I want to do, though, is show you about the food. Is that okay? So if you just stand there in the front there for me. Um, actually, why don't you tell us, Tyler, what's your favourite food? Pizza or McDonald's? Uh, soup. Soup? That's very healthy, very commendable. <laughs> well done, Sam. I'm impressed at that. Okay, so soup. Well... You might actually like the prison food then, because um, this is where my illustration goes horribly wrong. I've got the one child in the building who might actually like this. So um, this is, um, so Ty, if you hold that out with both hands, so you, you'd have had sort of gruel. So this would be, hold up so people can see. This, this would be your, that would be your lunch. Oh, sorry about that. We're renovating the stage, I think we can get away with. So that's, there you go. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Is that okay? Yeah, okay, all right, okay. Of course, so that's, that's the bedding sorted, that's the food sorted, kids. Hope you're getting a bit of a flavour for this. Um, but there's one other area that we need to consider, and that's the toilet facilities. So I needed one other volunteer, and I thought, who have we got around who could help me with that, perhaps from the leadership team? And I thought, we need somebody that could really look the part of a convict. So, Steve Wilson, do you want to make your way out of the front here? Let's welcome our Steve. So, bless you, mate. So, thank you. So, 
Steve, in terms of toilets in the, in the prison, you'd have been sharing a large cell, up to 300 people in the cell. So that's the bad news. The good news is that every cell had an ensuite toilet facility. And, um, and here it is. So um, this would be your... So kids, imagine this. This is your toilet, all right? And um, so you'd be sharing this with perhaps two or 300 other people. So um, this would be your... Oh, hold on. Sorry a minute. It looks like somebody's already used it. So let's, um, let's, just, let's just get rid of that there. There we go. There we go. All right. So um, that's the toilet facilities covered there. Bless you. Just, just don't get it on your hands. All right. So great. Sorry about that. I don't know what that was. Maybe the band earlier. I don't know. But um, those are the toilet... I'm kidding. Those are the toilet facilities. So, so Elizabeth went in and saw all of this and was shocked and horrified at what she saw. But there was, there was worse still because there was another group of prisoners that she was even more concerned and heartbroken for. And at this moment, I'm going to ask Amanda if she can make her way up the front here. So where are you, Amanda? Amanda's going to come down here. Because these were the conditions for the men in the prison. But what Elizabeth quickly discovered is there weren't just men in the prison. She was stand up here, but there were women as well. And what would happen was, if a woman came into the prison pregnant, the child would then be born into those awful, squalid conditions. They would literally have to give birth on the straw where they were. And the children then had to serve the same sentence that the parents served. So the mother might be in. So Amanda might perhaps have been arrested for stealing a loaf of bread. And the prison sentences were extreme, so she could have been in prison up to 10 years. And then the children were forced to grow up in those conditions. No provision of clothes or anything like that, or education, nothing like that. So in the prison, you'd have mothers with babies, and you'd have two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds living in the prison in mixed cells amongst all these other people. And sometimes just seeing a visual illustration, can you imagine what that would have been like to raise your child in those conditions? No wonder Elizabeth's heart was broken when she saw what was going on. Can we thank these guys for being my willing volunteers? Thanks, Tyler. So tough as it was for the men, it was even worse for the women. And it was the women that Elizabeth felt particularly called to try and reach. At that stage, five women were dying every month, either from disease or starvation in the prison. Literally, women and children were starving to death. And when she saw these women, she knew that she had to do something about it. She wrote this in her diary. These dark cells should never have existed in a Christian and civilized country. And you know, sometimes we wait for God to give us some specific word as to what we're meant to do, when often God has already given us enough guidance from Scripture. Uh, 1 Timothy says this, Teach those who are rich in this world, which is every one of us, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Elizabeth knew these words and decided to do something about it. She decided to change the problems that she saw. She immediately, that night, went home and started stitching some of her old clothes back together, repairing them where they were broken and darning them. She got the children involved as well, which shows that children can make a difference as well. And the next thing she did is she started up a little business within the prison because the prisoners had no means of getting any sort of income. They were just forced to beg for everything they received. But she and her friends taught the women how to make clothes and quilts that could then be sold and returned for money. 
But she didn't stop there. This woman was incredible at the, the capacity in terms of the volume of stuff that she did and number of different initiatives. Here's just a few that kind of rattle through on the screen here. She starts a small business in the prison, as we've just heard. She starts Bible reading and study classes for prisoners. She established a school for poor girls outside of the prison. She ran a soup kitchen, Tyler would like that, for the poor in cold weather. She was a driving force behind the program for smallpox, so inoculating people in her local community. She set up the first ever school inside an English prison, but she, what she did more than that is that she appointed one of the prisoners who had been a teacher to be the headmistress and re restored dignity back to that teacher. And in 1820, she built a night shelter for street children. She also opened a training school for nurses. Florence Nightingale then uses some of the nurses that Elizabeth Fry has trained to take across to Crimea and help with the conflict there. She writes a book on governing female prisoners, and she advises on the treatment of prisoners in Holland, Denmark, Hanover, Prussia, to name just a few. Unsurprisingly, by 1824, she needed a bit of a rest. And so she goes to Brighton on holiday, and she's walking along the seafront there, and she's struck by the lives of the Coast Guards, whose job was to protect England from smugglers and invasion and all that sort of thing. They were lookouts. But they spent many lonely hours alone in these different huts looking out to sea, watching out for smugglers and the like. And so she's a, her heart goes out to them. So whilst on holiday, she launches an, an initiative a nationwide initiative to provide libraries and good reading materials for Coast Guards, and 500 libraries are started in Coast Guard stations around the country. She does that on holiday. Now, some of us, we might be forgiven for sitting there and thinking, well, yeah, that's great. I mean, she had some money and she had some resources, and maybe she didn't have the same family responsibilities that I've got. Maybe that's how she was able to do it. How many children do you think Elizabeth Fry had? Just shout out. How many do you think? Two, three, two, three? Elizabeth Fry had 11 children, 11 children. This is before the days of wet wipes, okay? So imagine what that was like, 11 children. And I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure she did this all without sending a single text or email. She managed to do all of this lot. And it's not as if life was always easy for her. England, during this period, was at war with Napoleon of France. And this is a picture of him up on the screen. He really was this grumpy. So grumpy, in fact, that he invaded parts of Europe. And as a result, England went into a massive financial crisis and Elizabeth's husband's bank went bankrupt. So suddenly, all of their income was stripped away. And she could have used that and the death of her five-year-old daughter, Betsy, as an excuse just to step back from everything. See, the point is we can always find good reasons not to do something. But Elizabeth carried on regardless. She wasn't going to allow tragedy or lack of resources to stop her. As someone once said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's resources. So she founds this group. It's called the Ladies' Association for the Reformation of the Female Prisoners in Newgate. They tried to make the title longer, but they couldn't manage it. Um, so they launched this association, and she starts to tackle injustice, not just in Newgate, but on a national scale. And one of the issues that she becomes gripped with is, is the issue around deportation. So kids, if you're not aware of this, one of the alternatives to being sent to prison for a long period was actually to be deported in those days off to Australia. So sent away from your loved ones and from your family and forced to live in Australia, often for up to seven years, but very often it was a life sentence and people died and didn't return. I guess these days, you know, many of the mums and dads here, you know, they might quite like the idea of being sent off to Australia to live for the rest of their lives. We picture it to be a bit like this, uh, beach here. But the reality is it was a lot more like this in the penal colonies. 
And the women were particularly vulnerable. Even on the way to the docks, what would happen is they put the women onto open wagons and crowds would come out as they were about to go down to the docks to be loaded onto the ships and deported. Crowds would come out and hurl insults at them and throw rocks at them. So it, was, it became like an entertainment for the people of London. One of the things Elizabeth does is she arranges for covered wagons to protect the women, to take them to the docks. Very practical help to people. And she also trained them in skills that they could then use in Australia to provide an income for them. So she would send the women on the boats with scraps of material and had trained them how to sew quilts so that when they got to Australia, they'd sewn these blankets and then had something to sell and had a means of income. By this stage, Elizabeth's work begins to attract attention of those in power. Prophet Isaiah said this, let your light shine for all to see. And it says this, all nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. And that's what happened to Elizabeth. Royalty and rulers came to talk to her and see what she was doing. They came to follow her advice and ask for her help. Both Queen Charlotte and Queen Victoria wanted audiences with her. When Queen Victoria went out onto the streets of London alongside Elizabeth Fry, it was Elizabeth Fry's name that the crowds were shouting. She was like the Mother Teresa of her generation. Both the queens were stunned by the work that she did. And then, as a result, Elizabeth became the first woman ever to speak before MPs in Parliament. She spoke to a parliamentary commission. And she recommended that women, not men, should look after women prisoners. And she stressed the importance of education and useful employment to people. And so eventually, Parliament passes this act called the Jails Act, and it brings about a number of different changes, including less harsh punishments for women and prison, with female prison warders to look after female prisoners. Elizabeth Fry literally changed the lives of thousands of people. She valued and protected those who've been ignored and mistreated by society. So that's just a snapshot of her life. And of course, it might be very easy at this point to sit back and say, well, that's nice, but what's the point? Elizabeth Fry lived hundreds of years ago. I guess my reply to that question, though, would be, the point is that the call on us, you and I, remains exactly the same. Her life stands as an example of how we could live. And so as we come in for a landing, I just wanted to finish by giving you one little example from the modern day of how we can live out what Elizabeth Fry was doing, how we can be rich in good works, as Paul says to Timothy. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to welcome my friend Lindy. She's going to come up to the stage here and just share a little bit of something of what she's doing. So could we welcome Lindy as she comes up here? Great. So just stand there, that's great. Brilliant. So, we, um, we have a number of different um, groups here in the King's Arms. So we have um, groups that um, work in the local community. We've got a group that works in the prison. And uh, we also have another group that works in Yarlswood, uh, the detention centre. So we're already beginning to help prisoners in the local community. Uh, but there are, there are people who are vulnerable right across the world. And so, Lindy, I wonder, can you tell us just a little bit about what it is that you're doing and what you're starting up? Oh, she's amazing, isn't she? <laughs> Um, hi, I'm Lindy. Um, I run a charity called Project Girl Code. And um, how it all started is we were in a... My husband and I were in a service just like this one. And we heard about human trafficking. And I don't know if everyone's heard of human trafficking, but we didn't at that time. It was like, mind-blown. What's happening? How do I not know about this? And so... Um, 
we thought, okay, we were going to do something about this, but we didn't have any idea what to do. So we thought, okay, we'll just park that and wait for a convenient time. <laughs> and um, so the convenient time happened to be when I, we had a nine-month-old daughter, and we thought, let's move to Thailand and go and start fighting human trafficking. So we uh, sold most of our stuff and we moved to Thailand. And um, we started volunteering with an anti-trafficking organisation in Thailand. And um, it basically was rescuing children from human trafficking in establishments across there. So um, basically we worked for them for a year and I saw this great work the charity was doing. But something it wasn't doing, or that we noticed that it was needed for the girls, is that none of them had access to computers, none of them had access to the web. No one had even turned a computer on and they don't teach it in schools over there. Um, so we, they, they were training them, the charity was training the girls in jewellery and sewing and making screen printing t-shirts and coffee making and things. And we looked around and we thought, where are the secure jobs? What's going to give girls complete security and not vulnerability to exploitation again. And so uh, Project Girl Code was founded with the uh, aim to basically teach girls how to use computers and how to code in order to give them secure jobs. Mm. So um, we're starting our first project in October in Thailand again, and uh, we're hoping that we can teach around 20 to 30 girls to start with how to use computers and actually get them into employment. So we're really excited, so if you can pray for us, that would be fantastic. It's brilliant. Thank so good. Thank you so much, Lindy. Isn't that, isn't that good? I just heard that and I thought, we just got to let you know about that. And I, I would say that the same call rests on us as it did on Elizabeth Fry. Uh, we worship the same God who has compassion and uh, desire for us to help the brokenhearted and the disadvantaged and the vulnerable. And so I guess my question I want to leave to each one of us is, what's God calling you to do? Is it simply to get behind those that are on the front line or is God putting, uh, starting a new charity or some sort of work on your heart? Because um, God's calling us to big things. He's calling us to change the world around us. Whether we're young or old, he wants to use each one of us. Should we just stand and we're going to pray together to finish? If you're involved in social action of any sort, so helping poor or disadvantaged people in any way, do you want to just raise a hand for me? Because I know we've got so many people in the room. Those of you who haven't raised your hand, can you just lay a, lay a hand on the shoulder of someone near you? That'd be great. Father, we thank you so much for the legacy of Elizabeth Fry. Father, we don't want to just hear it and say that was a nice story, but Father, we want to change the world. Thank you, Father, we've got just this one life to show the world around us what the love of the Father looks like. We pray we'd use our one life for all we're worth. Thank you for these people who have raised a hand, but Father, we pray for each and every one of us to be involved for caring for the poor, the disadvantaged, and the vulnerable. Father, we pray that we would have Elizabeth Fry's of this generation, Lord God. We desperately need them in this country and the world around us. We pray for all those that are involved in our prison ministry and ministering into Yarlswood. Father, would you bless them and anoint them. We pray, for, Father, that most needy people would encounter the practical, loving hand of their Heavenly Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.